Whatever will be, will be. Okay, I'll be Richard Niles, and you'll be listening to the fourth and final part of our sentimental journey with Miss Doris Day. Our lips shouldn't touch. Everyone knows Doris Day can sing and act, which accounts for her becoming one of the most enduring stars of the 20th century. But she also loved baseball. Not many people know that, but Norman Jewison does. The director of two of Doris's films, The Thrill of It All and Send Me No Flowers, recalls. Oh, God, she loved baseball. I mean, I mean, really uh, passionate about the game. She dragged me to the Dodger game and Dodger Stadium. She had, she had seats right behind uh, home plate. And she used to scream and yell, and she knew all the statistics of every single player. She knew how many home runs it hit, how many, I mean, she was just like totally involved with, uh, with the sport. And there wasn't a man alive in the 50s and 60s who didn't dream of getting to first base with her. Singer Robert Goulet said, I adore her. Andy Williams said, I had a crush on her when I was 14 and I still do. Johnny Mathis called her a wonderful human being. And Tony Bennett said, she has it all. James Garner may have put it best when he said, she exuded sex but made you smile about it. But try telling her she was pretty. She never believed she was pretty. She had a big hang-up about her looks. And I tried to reassure her that she shouldn't worry, never look at rushes. And she didn't have to worry because I told her if she was really concerned, then she should do the lighting herself. And she should do her own makeup. If she was worried about the drink, she should direct it herself. That she could do everything herself if she wanted to. And she said, what are you talking about? And I said, well, Doris, you know, you should come to work and be confident that we've got the best cinematographer, the best lighting. We got Jean-Louis to do your clothes. You should have trust. And she kind of liked that because no one, I think, had ever said that to her. Doris Day's popular peak came when she left musicals for a series of comedies wherein her leading men, most often Rock Hudson, break through her proper image. She once said, vulgarity begins when imagination succumbs to the explicit, and these movies were safe sex sitcoms, in line with 50s attitudes. Hi, my name is Doris Day, and I just wanted to chat with you about my next picture, which is soon coming your way, called Pillow Talk. Rock Hudson is my co-star, and we are very excited about it. In sending you this record, we thought you might be interested in hearing some of the music and a little bit about the picture, and we hope that you enjoy what you hear. So, let's get on with our little package and hear the title song. Oh, by the way, it's called Pillow Talk. Pillow Talk! Movies included 1961's satirical Lover Come Back, That Touch of Mink, and Move Over Darling, which gave Doris her final UK Top 10 single in 1964 and gave her character the great line, If you'd really loved me, you would have married an ugly girl. 1959's Pillow Talk was her first film with Rock Hudson and the start of a box office chemistry that brought Doris superstardom and Academy Award nominations. And just to put the rumors straight, of course, they were just good friends. We were very good friends. And yet I didn't see Rock often socially. He had his own friends. And we were socializing with married couples. But that didn't make any difference. He and I were very good friends. We loved working together. We respected each other. And uh, I think that, that came across. Norman Jewison directed Doris and Rock in Send Me No Flowers in 1964 and knew Rock pretty well by now.
his homosexuality was always covered up. I mean, no one ever, ever thought of Rock Hudson as being in the closet, you know, because he was just, he was six foot four, six foot five. He was bigger than John Wayne. And they adored each other. They were like brother and sister, actually. And they could play lovers on screen. And I remember when Rock finally got ill with AIDS and, and kind of came out of the closet and was honest, which I found extremely touching. And when he was dying in the last stages of his life, he went to her. She had that kind of empathy and understanding. And it was a very, very deep and uh, touching commitment between those two. When I worked with her, on two films. At that time, I have a feeling she was Christian scientist. I don't, I'm not sure, but I think so. Um, she was teetotal. She was a teetotaler. Whether she had ever drank in her life earlier on, I don't know. But when you went to her house, you were escorted to a soda fountain like a real soda fountain, like you'd see in a drugstore with the, you know, with the things, with the levers and everything. And she would proceed to make you a, a soda or a milkshake or a malted milk or, it was a little weird that way. Uh, but I don't ever remember getting a glass of wine. The Man Who Knew Too Much was a remake by Alfred Hitchcock of his own 1934 sinister thriller. Here, Doris Day and James Stewart were involved in an assassination plot. The Oscar-winning song, K Sera Sera, was penned by the team Jay Livingston and Ray Evans. We had to meet Alfred Hitchcock, and he gave us an orientation and an uh, idea of what he wanted. So he said, gentlemen, I don't know the kind of song I want, but it takes place in England and Morocco. So uh, if it had kind of a foreign title to it, or I think it's something that I would want, and it's got to be the kind of song that a mother would sing to a child because it's a very important plot point in the movie. That's when the kid is kidnapped and then the Doris Day has sung it to him before and when she sings it, she hears him faintly answer. She knows where he is and that resolves the whole plot. He's rescued and everything's worked well. So gentlemen, it's up to you to see what you want to do. Doris Day, like so many other blonde actresses, was not comfortable with Hitchcock's directing style. He never did come in and tell us anything. So I finally said to Jimmy, I'm feeling very nervous right now because he isn't telling me anything. Please help me because you've worked with Mr. Hitchcock so many times and you know him and I don't. And he looked at me and he said, oh, we're fine. And I said, really? Well, who's doing it, the horse? When we returned to Los Angeles, I wanted to have a long chat with Hitch. We were going back to do all the big scenes, and I thought some of those scenes cannot be done 20, 30 times. That's impossible. But we worked everything out. We became very good friends, and he said something about, um, I don't direct if you don't need it, my dear. The title of Que Sera, Sera came from an Italian film that Ray Evans saw many years earlier called The Barefoot Contessa and the model of the Italian family was known as Que Sera Sera. We put it down as a, someday we'd like to write a song with this title. So we had it in our file of possible titles. So when I told you about Mr. Hitchcock, a foreign title would help, that came to mind immediately, and we adapted that as our vehicle for the lyrics and the story of the song. 
We thought about it a little while. The title case, Sarah, Sarah, came to us. We finished it, played it for Mr. Hitchcock. He said, gentlemen, when I first met you, I didn't know what kind of a song I wanted. That's the kind of song I want. Que sera, sera. Doris wrote about the experience of hearing Que sera, sera on set in her autobiography. One afternoon when I was in wardrobe having a fitting, Ray Evans came in and asked me whether I'd like to hear the new song for the picture, which had just been approved by Hitchcock. We went to their music studio, where they played Que Sera Sera for me. When I was just a little, when I was boy, just a little girl, I asked, I asked my, mother, my mother, what will I be? What will I be? Will I be handsome? Will I be pretty? Will I be rich? Will Here's I be rich? what she said to me. Here's what she said to me. Que sera, que sera, sera, sera. Whatever, whatever will be, will be. Will be. The future's future not ours to see. To see. Que sera, sera. Sera, sera, What will be, what will, will be. be, will be. Que sera, sera. Uh, that's an excuse for saying my partner sang it very well. He had a good voice. You know, he, he's no longer with us. He uh, passed away a couple of years ago. But uh, that's the uh, Evans part of the uh, performance. I thought it was fine for the spot in the picture where it was needed. I was hoping it would be more than that. Of course, I've never been more wrong about anything than I was about Kay Seurat. Kay Seurat Seurat forever after became identified with her. Doris may not have liked this kitty song, but in showbiz, money talks. So she ended up using the massive hit in two other films, Please Don't Eat the Daisies and the downright silly Glass Bottom Boat. She then used it as a theme to her TV series. Her friend from the Les Brown band, arranger Frank Comstock, has an interesting take on the song. Every time Doris came on the air or you saw her walk across, somebody was saying, okay, she's raw, you know what I mean? It was constantly. In fact, I'm, I'm doing some things, this is totally off the subject, I suppose, but I'm doing all those books up there have photographs. All those albums in there are photographs. I, I'm a nut for taking pictures of everything. And uh, I have some beautiful things that I, I did when my wife and I would go to see Doris when she moved to Carmel. We were still buddies and pals, of course. And we would go up there and we'd take pictures and we'd get some of the guys from the band, the old band, the 1940s band, and we'd all get there and just have a reunion or whatever. And I thought, well, it'd be nice if we just put them on a DVD and we can play them anywhere. We don't have to have people looking over shoulders to see the album covers, you know, all those things. So I did that and I got the thing out. We're going to have music to it. I said, great. So I started looking through all these records we have here, trying to find some stuff that would fit these pictures. And I called Doris. I said, when I do that thing about you, which we spent maybe three or four or five years of just going to every other week going up there practically, seemed like it to us. She said, whatever you do, don't play Case of Raw. She said, I hate that song. <laughs> so I can't stand it. I said, I, don't worry, I wouldn't play that or something like that. So, as a matter of fact, I used Day by Day, and um, We'll Be Together Again, the Frankie Lane song that was very big. And uh, I can't think of it. I have to play it. No, I think it was You Won't Be Satisfied Till You Break My Heart, or something like that. There were about four tunes that, that were good that she liked, and I knew we were, I was on the right track. But, of course, Case and Rye, you know, still sell millions and millions of records, so that's how luck affects your life, and we were the recipients of the luck in this particular case. The Doris Day Show ran from 1968 to 1973. Doris typecast as a bright career woman. In 1975, she made a TV special, Doris Day Today, and in 1985, she hosted a chat show, Doris Day's Best Friends on cable TV.
On Marty's death, her husband, Doris, found out that she was already signed up for the TV show, which she really had to do anyway because of her debts. Her buddy and co-star on the show, Jackie Joseph. One can't think of doing the Doris Day show without thinking of the song, Que Sera Sera. On the set, the stars and uh, regular performers in any show is given a special chair, and Doris's chair was a gift that was hand-tooled in leather with the words Que Sera Sera, and also across the back was the musical notes. So the song was ever-present. And Marty's death. Well, to be honest about it, had he lived, I would have been totally wiped out. He and Rosenthal would have dissipated my five years of television earnings just as they dissipated everything else. I would have lost my house, everything. In the scheme of things, Marty had to die in order for me to survive. After his death, I developed a self-sufficiency I never knew I had. It was wonderful to make decisions for the first time, to be on my own, to do a TV show, work on scripts and all that. The main thing is, I finally grew up. From box office queen who should have been worth $20 million when Melcher died, to half a million in debt. And that was back when a half a million dollars was a lot of money. But Doris is not a wimp, and she fought back. After five years and a trial lasting 100 days, Marty's accountant, Jerome Rosenthal, was ordered to pay Doris $22,835,646 for what the judge called his sad, malicious, and disgraceful conduct. Doris only got a few million. It was very interesting doing this happy show, knowing that Doris was going through several very serious crises. It was a devastating experience but you never saw it or heard of it from her. All she had was an upbeat attitude, the same happiness that went on during the show, and it wasn't really until it was over that she beat them and she said, well, that's great, you know, that's how it should be. But she didn't dwell on her unhappiness, uh, and she never cried. But thinking back of it, the only time I've ever seen tears were when we were working for animals and when she was pleading the cause or saw an animal that was suffering. Doris's son Terry said she retired when she felt she was just about one inch past her prime. That's just her particular ethic about artistry. She now lives in Carmel, California, running the Doris Day Animal Foundation. Doris says, killing an animal to make a coat is a sin. It wasn't meant to be and we have no right to do it. After an unparalleled career, she leads a quiet life. In fact, the Academy wanted to give her a Life Achievement Award this year, but as Les Brown Jr. explains, they had to give it to someone else because she wouldn't attend. I never knew we had that many number one records. I tended to think of Sentimental Journey and Love to Keep Me Warm, and then Dreams Are Getting Better All the Time. He had a, a lot of them, and it just surprised me. I, I asked him, I said, how come they never talk about there and he says ah that was then it's really not important and uh, <laughs> he was that way and Doris is a little that way too you know their their achievements can speak for themselves at that time when Doris retired she retired that was it folks you know she's back up there in Carmel and happy to be there and doesn't leave and uh, you can't drag her out I think her dogs bring her the greatest of happiness it was so darling to see Doris 
in her special doggy kitchen. I mean, she has her kitchen, and then there's a kitchen for her dogs up at her home in Carmel. I think she had about 11 dogs, and the kitchen was circular, and her, her feeding station was in the middle. And she would sit on a high stool with special long apron that went to the ground on both sides. And she would make the special diet for each dog. And they would surround her sitting on a little carpet. Each one had their own carpet. And built into the walls of this wonderful kitchen were doggy beds. And on top of the doggy beds, there were some cribs that were built on the wall for the animals that were crippled or blind. And she would have them in these like baby cribs and she would deliver their meals to them and she did it herself and she was happy and visiting and surrounded by the kind of love that never took advantage of her only loved her back which you can't say for everybody that that might have crossed paths over the years i can't believe doris is 80 years old but maybe that's what she always wanted she wanted us never to think of her as ever growing old, and she won't really, as long as you can watch all those all those wonderful movies she did, and she gave us a great legacy. The future's not ours to see. Well, the future's not ours to see, but I don't need crystal balls to know my future is unemployment, because that's the end of our sentimental journey with Doris Day. Clairvoyant thanks to my producer, Fiona Kroll, and all our contributors, including the inspiring Doris. At aiding, she swims daily, rides her bicycle and says, I'm happy today with who I am and what I do. I'm living life to the fullest, just the way I want it to be. My philosophy is never to regret the past and to have no anxieties about the future. It's been a wonderful life, but the best is yet to come. I don't know about you, but I'm Richard Niles, and I'd love to give this lady a hug. Radio Red-